Okay, we'll get rolling. This is Catherine Lambrecht. This is our second meeting for 2021. But I'm going to turn this over to uh, Trent Lizard and his wife, Christian. They were here a few months ago talking about the um, bird morels, which I have to say, fascinating. I will never do it. <laughs> just, just the thought of stepping into one of those roots that got burned away and, you know, goodness knows, probably being up to my whatever's in, mm-hmm. in pray, that's just, that was just hor- just scary, scary, scary. I like, you know, like the results of it, but man, I am not willing. And, and of course, as those of you were there, were there or weren't there, the program kind of ended in a rather exciting way because they had heard tsunami alarms. They were in Oregon and there'd just been an air, uh, uh, earthquake in, in, in Alaska. Let me tell you, it gave me something to talk about for the next few days. So thank you, thank you, thank you very, very much. But my, I'm going to turn the spotlight on to you, Trent, and it's all okay. yours. Well, yeah. And what happened there was um, apparently that, that there's a lot of tsunami risk there and they have tsunami alarms and we didn't know, but they test those alarms and they just happened to test it. And we thought it was the real thing. And now, you know, now, now we know better for the next, when the real one comes, we'll go running. It was quite alarming. <laughs> Did they tell you what to do, by the way? In case it really, it just head for the hills. They just have signs on the highway that say, you know, entering and leaving and like, go here when there's a tsunami. Wow. It's pretty obvious. High ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Kristen, do you want to start us off and talk a little bit about um, kind of the, the, the origin story of the book? Oh, goodness. Put me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming tonight. We appreciate you being here. Um As Trent mentioned, uh, he and I have a book called Wild Mushrooms out floating about there. And um, gosh, the origin story. Uh, I'll try to make it quick because Trent has a lot of good stuff to tell you. But um, we had a publisher approach us. How long ago, Trent? Now a year and a half ago, I think, about writing a wild mushroom cookbook. And um, neither Trent or myself are either chefs or writers. Um, we definitely do not chefs. Yeah, definitely not chefs. I mean, we do, you know, blog from time to time on Modern Forager, et cetera. But um, we thought, gosh, you know, that sounds really fun, but can we pull that off? Well, we decided to jump in because mushrooms, you know, a book, cool, why not? So um, we signed on to do it and um, Trent's super interested, as you'll find out here over the next hour in mushroom preservation. So he wanted to do a heavy focus on that. And I have this just great love of all the people that we meet along the way. So I really wanted to kind of highlight all the awesome folks that we've met over the years. And um, that allowed us to to get lots of recipes from people. Um, So that worked out really well. So uh, we have a cookbook that is um, kind of a combination of cooking techniques and preservation techniques and awesome recipes from 25 different foragers. And, um, you know, you get to meet all 25 of those people and sort of learn a little bit about their story. Um, But basically it's, you know, for the most part, regular people. And, you know, we highlight simple recipes that they've been cooking for themselves and their families for years. And there's a lot of diversity, um, women and men, which is awesome. 
and it just turned out really nicely. So um, that's kind of the story of the book in short form. Um, and Trent, I'll turn it back to you because you have tons of great stuff to share. So okay. I'll hold a picture of it up here. That tape is, is my tape, so I know it's my copy. But there's the book. Um, by, by the way, where do you order the book? Uh, Amazon. You can get a copy. That's the cheapest and fastest. You can order it from our website, Modern Forager. The benefit is you get to pay a little more, but you get a signed copy that we mail to you. I, I, I don't. It's about a 1995 retail price, and uh, so, sometimes it feels like Amazon pays people to buy it. Um, I think they have it for. <laughs> like $15 sometimes, which I, I don't understand how they take a hardback, you know, it's like full color. It's a beautiful book. Yeah. And print it for that. I, I don't know how that works in the world, but it's, it's a really nice price point. Uh, we're lucky the, pu the publisher did all that. We just wrote it and they took it and printed it and, and all that, but Amazon for sure is a good place to get it or us. If uh, you have the time. Yeah. I will say we're very low on stock because the book has gone to a second printing, which is great news. Um, but they didn't tell us that until we had run out. So I, I'm not sure that we have any stock left on our site. There may be a few, um, and we're supposed to get new stock at the end of February, but Amazon, I believe still has some in stock. So okay. you can also get it from, um, your local bookseller potentially too. Uh, you know, it's worth checking with them. They can always order it for you if you want to support and buy local too. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, um, so I guess today we're going to talk about mushroom preservation and it, it, it's going to, it's going to tie in closely with the book and I'll, I'll reference the book a lot for recipes and things and, and direct you there for more information occasionally, and as well as some websites, Kristen's going to man the chat. So she is going to put in links and stuff as topics come up and people ask questions. I would encourage you. There's a chat over here. Feel free to use it. You can talk to each other. You can talk to us. Uh, we love getting lots of questions in here as I'm talking. Feel free to follow up with a question or tell me I'm wrong or, or whatever you want to do. Say hi in the chat. Uh, we love to see you in there. Um, uh, let's see. I see Brooke. Brooke Reed in there. Hi, Brooke. Uh, seeing who else I might recognize in here today. A lot of first names. So, so hi, hi everyone on that note. Brooke, if you know Brooke, probably. Uh, he's one of the four uh, featured foragers in our book, um, and he's got a few good recipes in here and a um, little little write up about him. Um, all right, um, so I, I want to kind of talk about the problem first. I, I assume you guys are, are like us; you 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 forage um, and, and you go out, and a lot of times you don't find any mushrooms, and sometimes you find some, but you have those moments when with almost every mushroom that we forage, you, you come home with a lot. Um, and often, you know, an obscene amount of mushrooms that you have to preserve them uh, to make use of them. You know, you, what are you gonna do with, with 20 or 30 or 50 pounds of chanterelles, for instance, when they're, when they're out, they're out like crazy. And, and preservation becomes a important question. Because, um, you know, look, anybody can cook up some fresh mushrooms and put them in a recipe, that's cool. Uh, but to, to really forage successfully and 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 get get the the full benefit of all the work we do, you, you want to be able to enjoy those mushrooms for a, a long period of time. You know, the whole rest of the season, if not multiple years, and, and you want them to be delicious. 
Um, so a lot of what the book is about and what I'm going to talk about today is, is this idea of preservation because we were experiencing the same problems. It was often a, kind of an embarrassment of riches. We come home with a big basket of porcini or chanterelle or matsutake or, you know, black trumpets or, you know, on down the list. And what do you do with these? And we, we had our own share of horror stories. Uh, one thing we do not do, we don't waste mushrooms. I'm here to tell you uh, we pick them, we put them on our basket, we bring them home, and and almost always they get cleaned, they get taken care of, and they get preserved. We don't usually let them kind of rot, rot in our fridge or throw them out. We work too hard to get them. So a lot of this has to do with with what we've learned about processing mushrooms to to make them last for for longer periods of time. Uh, a lot of this came from uh, conventional wisdom, just not really being satisfying. Uh, because you would, you know, read about how people would tell you to prepare mushrooms and then other people would tell you something different. And then you'd read something by somebody about, oh, in Russia, they do it this way. Or, or back in the, you know, uh, Middle Ages, they did it this way. Or uh, I'm, really, most of the stories come from Eastern Europe these days, it seems like. Uh, but it could be Asia, too. Um, and and, and you, you learn these different things and you, you try to put it all together and, and it doesn't always make sense. So we do a lot of experimenting. Um, on, on preservation techniques. And I've got stuff all around me here to kind of share with you today. Um, and we're gonna, the bit, first big preservation technique I wanna talk about is like thoroughly modern. It's, it's uh, freeze drying. But before we get to freeze drying, let's talk about the like technology of, of, of preservation, which is not high technology, but uh, I think really makes, makes a big difference. And, and I don't have one, I have one right here actually. Uh, this this is not your friend. You guys know what those are. You've all seen them. Whoever invented that made a lot of money. Long story short, you get home, you put your mushrooms in a Ziploc bag like this and you store them. And, and the problem is this Ziploc is permeable with air. And over time, these mushrooms degrade. And over years, they're clearly not as delicious as if you store them properly. So sometimes to get a, a better preservation, it's really a matter of the plastic you choose. So let me show you a couple ideas here. Um, the first thing we do is we, we try to store all our mushrooms in glass or in this uh, uh, vacuum seal level plastic. Now I happen to love these pre-cut bags. They're all ready to go. They're fast. I really like having all my bags the same size. I don't have them right here, but I've got uh, uh, two sizes bigger than this for different things. And it's, it's they're very convenient. Um, and this plastic, this, you know, freezer plastic does a decidedly better job of preserving your food than the Ziplocs do. So that, that's going to be tip number one. Now let's use this plastic. If you want to go bigger and longer, in the freeze drying community, they use these Mylar bags. They're a little more expensive. I don't tend to use them because I'm not really trying to preserve for 25 years. I mean, if I get 10 years, I should be happy with my mushrooms. I don't know. These are made to preserve foods for 25 years. They're made of Mylar. They're very expensive, but they're 100%. Uh, nothing gets in and out of these after you seal them. No, no vapor moves in and out of these at all. Even, even these bags have a little bit of movement. Um, so the, the, what we're talking about with the movement, though, uh, is oxygen and uh, humidity. And so when you store your, your mushrooms in, in, in these plastic bags or in a, uh, like this, you know, in a, in a jar, perhaps like that, uh, when you store these guys, you're going to want to consider one of two products. Uh, the first one, uh, this is a desiccant pouch. Uh, these, these, I buy these on Amazon. They're super cheap. Um, I have a 
a whole bag of them over here. Um, in Colorado, they're not so important as in some states, um, but I, I like to put these in with my mushrooms just to remove any spare moisture that's in them. Uh, if you have any little bit of moisture in your mushrooms, it will ruin it. And this is just like a quick fix. So you'll see this in, you know, kind of a lot of my, my storage. Boom, I just throw one in just to protect the mushrooms. We'll talk more about drying mushrooms in a few minutes. This, however, is cool. Um, this is an oxygen scrubber. They come in different brands. They're about the same thing and delicious. Um, so a lot of what the book is about and what I'm going to talk about today is, is this idea of preservation because we were experiencing the same problems. It was often a kind of an embarrassment of riches. We'd come home with a big basket of porcini or chanterelle or matsutake or, you know, black trumpets or, you know, on down the list. And what do you do with these? And we, we had our own share of horror stories. Uh, one thing we do not do, we don't waste mushrooms. I'm here to tell you, uh, we pick them, we put them in our basket, we bring them home and, and almost always they get cleaned, they get taken care of and they get preserved. We don't usually let them kind of rot, rot in our fridge or throw them out. We work too hard to get them. Um, so a lot of this has to do with, with what we've learned about processing mushrooms to, to make them last for, for longer periods of time. Uh, a lot of this came from conventional wisdom just not really being satisfying. Um, because you would, you know, read about how people would tell you to prepare mushrooms and then other people would tell you something different. And then you'd read something by somebody about, oh, in Russia, they do it this way. Or, or back in the, you know, uh, Middle Ages, they did it this way. Or uh, I'm, really, most of the stories come from Eastern Europe these days, it seems like. Uh, but it could be Asia, too. Um, and and, and you, you learn these different things and you, you try to put it all together and, and it doesn't always make sense. So we do a lot of experimenting. Um, on, on preservation techniques. And I've got stuff all around me here to kind of share with you today. Um, and we're gonna, the bit, first big preservation technique I wanna talk about is like thoroughly modern. It's, it's uh, freeze drying. But before we get to freeze drying, let's talk about the like technology of, of, of preservation, which is not high technology, but uh, I think really makes, makes a big difference. And, and I don't have one, I have one right here actually. Uh, this, this is not your friend. You guys know what those are. You've all seen them. Whoever invented that made a lot of money. Long story short, you get home, you put your mushrooms in a Ziploc bag like this and you store them. And, and the problem is this Ziploc is permeable with air. And over time, these mushrooms degrade. And over years, they're clearly not as delicious as if you store them properly. So sometimes to get a, a better preservation, it's really a matter of the plastic you choose. So let me show you a couple ideas here. The first thing we do is we, we try to store all our mushrooms in glass or in this uh, uh, vacuum seal level plastic. Now I happen to love these pre-cut bags. They're all ready to go. They're fast. I really like having all my bags the same size. I don't have them right here, but I've got uh, uh, two sizes bigger than this for different things. And it's, it's, they're very convenient. Um, and this plastic, this, you know, freezer plastic does a decidedly better job of preserving your food than the Ziplocs do. So that, that's going to be tip number one. Now let's use this plastic. If you want to go bigger and longer, in the freeze drying community, they use these Mylar bags. They're a little more expensive. I don't tend to use them because I'm not really trying to preserve for 25 years. I mean, if I get 10 years, I should be happy with my mushrooms. I don't know. These are made to preserve foods for 25 years. They're made of Mylar. They're very expensive, but they're 100%. Uh, nothing gets in and out of these after you seal them. No, no vapor moves in and out of these at all. Even, even these bags have a little bit of movement. 
Um, so the, the, what we're talking about with the movement though, uh, is oxygen and you know, humidity. And so when you store your, your mushrooms in, in, in these plastic bags or in a, uh, like this, you know, in a, in a jar perhaps like that, uh, when you store these guys, you're going to want to consider one of two products. Uh, the first one, uh, this is a desiccant pouch. Uh, these, these, I buy these on Amazon. They're super cheap. Um, I have a, a whole bag of them over here. Um, in Colorado, they're not so important as in some states. Um, but I, I like to put these in with my mushrooms just to remove any spare moisture that's in them. Uh, if you have any little bit of moisture in your mushrooms, it will ruin it. And this is just like a quick fix. So you'll see this in, you know, kind of a lot of my, my storage. Boom, I just throw one in just to protect the mushrooms. We'll talk more about drying mushrooms in a few minutes. This, however, is cool. Um, this is an oxygen scrubber. They come in different brands. They're about the same thing, an oxygen absorber. You can buy these on Amazon. I store them in a glass jar like this so that no oxygen gets into them. In fact, I'm gonna put this right back in there right now. And what these little guys do are they, they remove the oxygen from the air. And it's the oxygen that causes a lot of the changes in the flavors in our foods. So if you want to do really longer term storage, what, what I recommend is do the, the, the desiccant for, you know, shorter term. And then for longer term, use this good plastic and vacuum seal it, suck the air out of this bag and put in an oxygen scrubber and your food will last significantly longer. And I've seen this in some of the mushrooms that we've tested, like uh, I've, I've put them in these, uh, like I put a bunch of Matsutakis in these and in these. And after two years, the Matsutake and the plastic had really lost a lot of its flavor. It was clearly not as good as this. So I think that's a, just a real simple technology. Buy good plastic, get a vacuum sealer, vacuum seal when possible, and, and your food will keep longer. Now, I have another cool thing here. Now, vacuum sealer, you know what that is. You, you vacuum seal food, sits on your kitchen counter. Um, this is a fun little unit we use. This is a portable vacuum sealer. And we use this because often when we're out uh, foraging, we, we, we're campers, we have an RV, we travel around a lot. And when we dry mushrooms, we want to uh, uh, store them correctly. And so we put them in these little bags. Uh-oh, I have one right here, hang on. Well, I guess I misplaced that. I will try to find it before the end here. Oh, there it is. So these little food saver bags like that. Um, and they have these little holes on them right here. And you can stick this on that hole like that. And you can suck the air right out of your bag, which is really great. You can do it before you put it in the freezer or you can just store dried product in these bags. That's, they make bigger ones too, and you can suck the air right out of it. Uh, you can throw in an oxygen scrubber in it to even remove more of the oxygen out of the air, and your, your dried product will, uh, will keep a little longer too. Now these bags, they are definitely more expensive. So I will point out, if you're not able to really utilize the Ziploc function and reuse them, they, they cost a lot more than just a cheap plastic sealer bag. So I, I don't use these like too crazy just because they cost a lot with, with the Ziploc bags. Now, the other thing this tool does that I love, I'm gonna show you here. Got a jar of mushrooms here, right? And just a standard wide mouth jar. And what this will do is you can take this vacuum sealer and you can put it on top of your jars like that. And then you can put this thing on top of it. Like that. And it'll, 
it'll suck the air out of the jar and hopefully I got it right the first time. Sometimes it pops off here when I don't do it quite right. And now it's, did you hear that when I popped it? It went, you, va you can vacuum seal your mason jars with dried product in them as well. So that's another good way to, to really just extend the shelf life and keep your mushrooms tasting as, as tasty as possible is, is to get that get that oxygen out of there. And so I really like this, like this product. I like having all my jars kind of vacuum sealed. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a fun little thing. I, I got this on Amazon. This is a food saver brand. Um, there's lots of different brands. I don't know if one is, is really any, any better than the other. Um, they work pretty good. I wish I had an, another one for the narrow mouth. This is the wide mouth mason jar. I'd like to get a second one for the narrow mouth so I could do, you know, small, smaller jars like that. All right. So that was the talk on plastic, really. Oh, no, I have one more piece of plastic here. This is kind of a fun one. Um, I use these bags. I like them because you can reuse them over and over. Um, and, I, and I tend to like carry them in the field with me uh, or in the fridge or I, when I give people mushrooms, I use these. I'm gonna hold it really close to the camera here. And I don't know if you can tell all the little dots in there. This is micro perforated plastic. It's actually a bread bag, uh, bakers use it. Um, and uh, it has a whole bunch of tiny, tiny little holes that breathe really nice. And, and uh, ultimately it's a wonderful plastic. Uh, I'd say it's even better than paper to store fresh mushrooms in. I, I can put chanterelles or, or morels into that plastic and it keeps for a long time. I tend to use paper. Um, I have a few of these that I, I do like to use. Um, um, just because paper's nice, it's you know recyclable and goes in the trash better. But if you can reuse these over and over, I think you can make a case that this is a better way maybe to keep your mushrooms fresh in your fridge for a week or two after you harvest them. It's a nice bag and and they're, they're pretty durable. They last a long time. So maybe pay attention when you get a, your next uh, uh, loaf of bread. If you have one of those bags, save it. They, they really work well. And you know, people say, don't put mushrooms in plastic, right? Well, the reason is it doesn't breathe. Which, which for fresh mushrooms is bad, but the perforations breathe. Um, let's see, Jeff says, no, O2 absorbers suck out the flavor. They steal the flavorful top notes. Jeff, I have not had that experience at all. Uh, that said, my, possibly my palate is not as refined as other people. Um, I have found that uh, they make a really big difference um, in, in my food qualities when I use, when I use one of those. Um, is there a uh, computer or industrial desiccant and food grade? Yeah, there's a difference. One you don't want in your food. I don't know why. It's just not food safe. Only buy the food safe desiccants for sure. Um, all right. Um, next topic, then we're going to move on to technique number one, which is freeze drying. Now, uh, freeze drying is kind of new. Just, I'm curious if any of you have a freeze dryer. Please comment in here. Let me know. Um, or maybe you're thinking about one. Um, freeze dryers came on the scene, I don't know, maybe four years ago. They're pretty new and they really, they really originated in the prepper market. So traditionally freeze dryers have cost, you know, 10, 30, 50, a hundred thousand dollars. They're for commercial food prep people and they're out of reach of, of home hobbyists like us. Uh, but somebody, uh, a company called Harvest Right introduced a freeze dryer into the market a few years ago that you can put in your garage. It costs a couple thousand dollars. Um, and you can freeze dry your own food. So the first problem is it's not cheap. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I think the negatives of freeze drying. I'm gonna start with that. You know these these units are 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 several thousand dollars and to buy and they're not cheap to run either. They use a fair bit of electricity. And frankly, 
they're kind of big and they're kind of loud and they take 36 to 48 hours to run a batch. Let me show you guys a picture. Um, I'm just going to share my screen here. Several thousand dollars and, and to buy, and they're not cheap to run either. They share this a picture. fair bit of electricity. And frankly, um, so hopefully you guys can see that okay. That's a freeze dryer sitting on a counter and, and you can see it on the right. It's like a small refrigerator. Uh, you open up the front door and you've got shelves in there and, and I can put uh, four shelves in, into mine. Um, and then you run it for 36 to 48 hours. Let me stop that over there. And uh, it, boy, it makes, a, it makes a really nice product. Uh, so the negatives, it, it's expensive and it takes a couple hours, a couple days, two days to run. And um, it doesn't do a whole lot at a time. Um, I probably do, uh, these are what, two quart jars. I can, I can fill two of these in a batch. So that's about all I could fit in there, about four quarts of, of mushroom product when I use it. The benefits. So the benefits of freeze dryer, let me talk a little about how it works. And instead of a traditional dryer, which heats your food to typically 140 degrees or more, depending on how you set it, it could be 160 or it could be 120 or 90, of course. Um, compared to that, what it does is it freezes your food really cold. I'm going to say negative 20. And then it, it heats the, the food up above freezing at the same time as it runs a high pressure vac a vacuum machine. It's a low pressure vacuum machine. It sucks the pressure out of the air. And what that does is it, it pulls the moisture out of the food and it does this in cycles. It cools and heats and cools and heats and cools and heats. And after, you know, 24, 36 hours, you've got a product with, with no moisture left inside of it anymore, yet it maintains all of its nutritional value. So advantage number one is freeze drying is very clearly uh, the nutritional winner. Uh, it does not degrade the foods like dehydrating can, um, um, which is nice. Um, so number two advantage is it allows you to basically preserve mushrooms that are unpreservable. So here's an example. I can open this up. Oops. I mean, I don't know. Can you guys tell what that is? See how pretty it is? Shaggy mane. Shaggy mane. Who said that? Laura. Laura, you're, you're totally right. They're beautiful. They're white. They're, they're in absolutely pristine condition. If these were dry, you'd probably think I was holding up fresh mushrooms. Um, that said, has anybody ever had any luck preserving shaggy manes? I mean, freezing them maybe? No, they don't preserve well. They certainly don't dry well. Um, hang on, I dropped my cap. So one advantage to a freeze dryer is it would preserve difficult to preserve mushrooms. So shaggy manes are a classic example. You know, uh, I gotta be the only guy in this part of the state that's got got shaggy manes ready to eat tonight if I want them. Um, and they're, you know, they, 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 they taste pretty good too. Um, now, so other mushrooms, here's more examples. Another advantage is some mushrooms, when you dehydrate them, they, they taste poor. Um, for example, anybody can guess what these are? These are- Chanterelles. Chanterelles, yes. These are Midwest chanterelles. They came from Minnesota, I think. Um, and you know, they're kind of small, they're really nice. Um, and instead of dehydrating them, which I've got a, a jar of dehydrated mushrooms over here and they're really not very good. Um, uh, a jar of dehydrated chanterelles, it just don't dehydrate well. These things, they smell delightful. 
They taste great and you could almost fool somebody. I mean, I'm not going to say they're as good as fresh. That's, that's too bold a claim, but I can tell you they're a pretty close runner up. And compared to dried, they're far superior. And uh, in, our, in our book, a lot of our pictures and recipes, we cooked it in the winter um, and we used freeze-dried mushrooms and, and we cooked with them all winter and they, and they tasted great. So some, it gives you the opportunity to preserve some mushrooms that are really unpreservable with traditional drying methods um, and store them at, at shelf stable temperatures, uh, uh, room temperature. These are Matsutake, another one that's notoriously difficult to uh, store in the long term. You can certainly freeze them, um, but they freeze dry up really nice and they also smell good. Although that's probably not the best mushroom in this group. You guys don't have a lot of Matsutake in your neck of the woods, I'm sure. Yes, shaggy manes, you submerge them in water to avoid the oxidation. Catherine, that's a great tip to keep them to last like a couple days maybe in your fridge so you don't have to eat them within a couple of hours. Uh, Brooke, branch, blanching and freezing is, is about all you've got, but it's not exciting either. I, I agree. I've got some in my freezer too, just as a test um, uh, to try. We should break those out and eat them. See how the frozen versus the freeze dried compare. I, I, we like to test everything. We like to do two or three different ways and, and see what works better. So that's a good way to do it. Now, some mushrooms like these, I won't even I'll have to ask you what these are. You can tell. These are burn morels in this case. And you'll hear that. Oh, that one was not for it. That one was not vacuum sealed. And they just come out. They just come out of this like, like that, like they were picked. They lose about 10% of their size. Unlike drying where they get like half the size. They, they smell really nice. Um, they're just, it's a nice product. So sometimes the good thing about freeze drying is it, it, it leaves them, it leaves them really pretty. I mean, it just makes a really pretty mushroom. Lobster mushrooms look just superb freeze-dried. They, they maintain their color and their shape and they don't curl up. Here's some lobster mushrooms. And you can see how white the whites are and orange the oranges are. I mean, they look like fresh pieces of mushroom in here. They're, they're, they're really nice. So that's the third advantage of freeze-drying is that it, it takes the mushrooms you have and makes them really pretty. Now, What's the advantage there? I don't know. I mean, look, at the end of the day, uh, we don't really freeze dry porcini or morels that much. Uh, I like to freeze dry morels as gifts. Um, however, I personally think dried morels are awesome and it's a waste of energy to do really anything else but dry them. Porcini are kind of the same way. Now, porcini give you another reason to freeze dry. I don't know if you get, get many of those. We have a lot of them here and they change their flavor when you dry them. So we often want to distinguish between uh, freeze-dried or dried porcini because the flavor is a lot different just because the drying process changes porcini's flavor so, so dramatically. Uh, how quickly can you freeze-dry shaggy manes? They take a, about 36 hours for me to, to freeze-dry here in my garage, and they take about 30 seconds to rehydrate. Like you show them water almost. Um, I'm thinking like the bartender making an extra dry martini, and they like and they, they, they just soak the water right up really quick. Um, uh, often, in fact, the freeze-dried product will soak up a little too much water and we end up dry sauteing it. So we often put it back in the pan and, and put it with no oil or water in it and kind of dry saute to pull some of that moisture back out again. Um, 
So what's the big deal when you freeze dry versus traditional drying? Well, I think, Brooke, the, the difference there is the traditional drying uses only heat and it, it's a totally different kind of chemical experience for the food. It, it, it's heated, it shrinks, it changes color and it loses nutrients, you know, and we still love it, don't get me wrong. But when you freeze dry, it doesn't shrink, it doesn't change its color and it retains all those nutrients because it's really a different process of extracting uh, extracting moisture so you get a you get a different product which is sometimes ideal oh brooke sorry bug deal Aha, good one yeah the bugs stay in it in the freeze dryer i'm pretty sure we don't freeze dry morels we we don't freeze dry except for gifts other ones other mushrooms we think dry really well uh yellow feet head uh we don't uh hedgehogs um i don't know why they're on that list uh black trumpets we we dry those as well i think they're just as good dried um, so we love the freeze dryer. Any questions on the freeze dryer? And while you think of your questions, let me just expand the freeze dryer. You're not going to get your money's worth out of it doing mushrooms. So some of the other things, we do a lot of fruits and vegetables, uh, a lot of fresh fruit. It makes a really good snack, uh, strawberries, apricots. We do, a, I have a whole cupboard full of herbs and spices that are fresh. So I'm like, oh, I need some fresh cilantro. I'll go get some freeze dried cilantro and it works just as well almost. Um, we also, uh, freeze dry, like snack food to eat, um, uh, like on the trail. And we make, we also make like stocks. So this is kind of fun. Two more products to show you here. This here, I'll hold it up. This is freeze dried mushroom stock. So basically I take my mushrooms that I didn't want. In this case, they were all the cuttings from porcini and all the pores. I cook them in a stock pot with onions and whatever. Uh, make a vegetable stock, cook it down, strain it out. And then I put that liquid into the freeze dryer. And what you end up with is this powder that reconstitutes into stock immediately. So you can drop a teaspoon right into your, uh, like when you're cooking and you get a lot of flavor. Now I'm going to grab a teapot right here for my next. Okay. I got some hot tea here, some hot water. I got a glass mug so you can see this. Um, now you guys are probably a little bit to the south. I know you probably don't get a lot of chaga in your state, maybe occasionally. Um, if this is a good example, we took chaga. I don't have much left here. I need to make more. And I made, I made a really dense tea out of it. And it comes out as a powder. Last time I did this, I spilled it all over my keyboard. And it's a lot like, um, there it is in my, it's a lot like, uh, uh, coffee, like freeze-dried coffee. I'm going to pour that in for you. It's pouring. And I'm just making some tea right now, chaga tea. But instead of using real chaga, I, I made my chaga tea a couple months ago and freeze-dried it. And in case I don't have time to really make fresh tea, there it is. You can see how dark that is. That little half teaspoon of chaga makes a, yeah, I don't know if you could tell it from the fresh version, it's very good. Um, so you can freeze dry other things like soups and teas and, and make, make fun kind of fun products you didn't expect out of the freeze dryer if you do decide to go that route. But technically this is a mushroom product, mushroom preservation, uh, chaga tea ready in a minute's notice. All I gotta do is heat water and I can have some chaga tea. So if any of you do chaga, that's another use. Uh, okay, I'm going to see if there's any questions before I move on to the next topic. Uh, how long does the dried chaga last dried? Um, I think three years is fine. Uh, I, I've, heard, I've heard people say 
uh, I've heard some people say it lasts a year or two, and I've heard other people say it lasts like 15 or 20 years. Uh, we've been using ours now for two or three years, and we have been just fine with it. It seems to, excuse me, it seems to taste great. I, you know, I can't tell if it medicinally changes some of the some of the benefits of it, but I'm of the opinion that if you dry it out real good and keep it in a cool, dry place and a, a preferably in an oxygen-free environment, it should last a long time, in my opinion. That's just opinion. I don't have any scientific evidence to prove that. Does chaga have caffeine? No, it doesn't. Uh, chaga is well-known kind of around the world as a substitute for coffee. And, and in fact, I think in World War II, some cultures switched to, switched to chaga. Um, and, and they discovered, and this is, I think, where, where some of the research came out of, they discovered that some cultures that drink chaga instead of tea or coffee um, had a lot lower uh, rates of certain types of cancer, especially like uh, stomach cancer, I think. Um, and that's when they started studying it as, a, as a perhaps a, a, a potential remedy. Uh, but no, it does not have caffeine and it tastes pretty good. It's a little bitter, but it tastes good. It's not like I, I wouldn't enjoy turkey tail tea. I would not enjoy reishi tea and things like that. But chaga tea, I can like really enjoy this. I, I would like a spot of honey in it maybe. Mm. Darn, it's good though. Where can you buy it? Trixie, don't buy it. Just take a road trip up to Northern Minnesota or Northern Wisconsin. It's the only mushroom you can hunt in the winter, right? Head up there, look for chaga in the trees and you can find it on your own. Um, yeah, you can't drink too much. I think I think people could potentially overdo it. If you start breaking your fingernails off, if they break too easy, it means you've had too much chaga. That's like the sign. Okay, thank you. Kristen's gonna answer that question. I'm gonna move on to the next big topic, which is not the funnest. It's what everybody does, but it's still a big one. It's just traditional dehydrating. Like, how do we do that? What, what's involved? What's it good for? What's it bad for? So let's talk about dehydrating. Um, the 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 negatives, there aren't really many other than it can potentially affect the flavor and um, texture of your, your food. So some mushrooms are better than others. Uh, the pros are that uh, it's shelf stable storage. It's the cheapest way to preserve and it can last a long time, especially if you store it in good plastic. Now, some mushrooms clearly are great dehydrated. Uh, morels, oh my gosh, I, I think you can make the case that you're going to be better dehydrating your morels and eating them fresh. They, it consolidates the flavor. They're, they're awesome. Um, we love, I think, yellow feet. Do you guys have yellow feet there much um, in the fall, maybe? Or in the summer? The uh, winter chanterelles, we sometimes call them. Um, Craterellus tubiformis. Do you guys get those much in the summer there? I'm not having any answers. It's like crickets here, you guys. Somebody shake their head yes or no. <laughs> no, okay. They're really good dried if you do get those. I know they're farther north of you. Porcini are excellent dried. Black trumpets, candy caps, you don't get those. Maitake, of course, it's a great way to go with maitake and you, you, you surely get those. Um, chicken of the woods, not such a big fan. You get a lot of those. Chanterelle, yuck. Uh, hedgehogs, no way. Um, Heresiums, no. None of those you want to dry. Um, now, when, when you do dry, uh, there's a couple of kind of critical issues. Um, one is the temperature. And, and I think there's a lot of opinions on what temperature to dry at. Um, your standard commercial dryer is, usually runs about 140 degrees in my, my experience. Um, there's some research that shows that lower temperatures cause uh, higher nutritional values in the food. Um, I've taken a look at what I've seen there and I, I'm not like a I don't know everything about everything, but a lot of that research was done specifically with uh, uh, commercial mushrooms, uh, shiitakes and oysters. 
And it's not really clear that going from 140 to 120 really adds a lot of nutritional quality back to your food. However, all things being equal, I think you want to try to dry at a lower temperature um, and try to keep your food in, in, in better shape that way. I haven't noticed a taste difference, but I usually say, um, I try to dry mine at the temperature that I can leave it in overnight and it'll be done in the morning, but it won't be overdone. I don't want to like cook the heck out of them. I want to try to pull them out of my dryer as soon as they're done. Um, if I have a, I have several dryers, uh, I'll show you in a sec, one of them. And, um, I usually set my temperature 125 to 160 when I, when I can set the temperature and it often depends on how much is in there. So if I stack 12 trays of morels up and it's a full dryer, I'm going to set it at 160 for quite a while to get them dry. Um, if I have a, a smaller load, I'll set it at 120 uh, or even lower and I'll run it overnight at hundred degrees and that will dry a lot of mushrooms out. You know, uh, oysters that aren't real big and thick will, will dry overnight at a, uh, 110 degrees, really nice. So you can kind of, you can do it that way. Now here's a, our standard dryer, our dehydrator. This is just a big box. It's a Presto brand. It doesn't have a temperature control. You just plug it in. Uh, they make a kind that has temperature controls right here and timers, which are very convenient. I like those units too. They only cost a few more bucks, but they're, they're also louder, curiously than the ones without the temperature. I don't know why. Um, the benefits I like of this one are these, these units right here stack as high as you want. So I ran a batch of mushrooms today and I ran this many, but I can keep stacking them up and I can go 12 high. And when I'm done, you turn them upside down and they nest on each other. So you can stack like 12 trays and then we take up a little bit of space. That's why I like this dryer. I will tell you, you go on your Facebook group and you say, hey, what's a good dehydrator to buy? Everybody, and you guys can probably confirm this, will weigh in and say, oh, I love my dryer. I have this, I have that. Everybody loves their dryer. I don't think the brand matters. You know, there's a lot of people that love the Excalibur brand, which is the, you know, $300 machine. Very nice. I don't know that their product is any better or any worse. It's a nice dryer. I'm going to say, get whatever dryer you want. The trick is dry your stuff until it's cracker dry. You should be able to crack your crack your mushrooms if they're a little bit pliable and you put them in a jar for a month there's a good chance that moisture will come out and and, and really wreck your whole batch so you want to go cracker dry another thing to consider um i think this is an interesting topic i wonder if anybody has opinions or ideas on it um when you dry your mushrooms they are wild mushrooms they've been in the sun right i don't know if you know if you put mushrooms in the sun they uh uh, produce a huge flush of vitamin D, like crazy amounts. So one thing you can do with your mushrooms is, is sun dry them. I think it's a little healthier. I think they do produce more vitamins and minerals, but especially vitamin D. And even then though, you may want to consider finishing them off in the dehydrator just to make sure they're really dry. Um, I know there's a lot of people that never use dehydrators. I don't know that they ever, they're harvesting a lot of mushrooms occasionally maybe. Um, but if you're not finishing them in the dehydrator, I worry that you're going to end up with musty, you know, mushrooms in your, in your mushroom jar. Um, but I do love to introduce them to a little bit of sunshine before I dry them. I like to put them out and let them get a little start in the sun if I'm able to. It often changes their color a little bit, adds a little color to them. Um, and I think adds vitamin D. You don't need to do that. Cause I mean, the, the real question is this test they did, it was on shiitakes, which are grown indoors and a sun-free environment. What about those mushrooms we're picking where they are getting natural sun? Are they, do they already have that vitamin D in them? I'm, I'm not clear on, on that. 
Jeff says every 10 degree increase doubles the reaction rate. I'm not sure what you mean there, Jeff. 10 degree temperature increase in dehydrating perhaps? You're, Gabe, you're, you are the outlier, the one that does not think their brand is great and wants to recommend it to everybody, just like I just did with mine. Um, and try it. You'll see it on a Facebook group. I always see like, hey, what's a good dryer? I'm like, here we go. There's going to be 20 good brands recommended. And then there's also, and you guys are in this group too, right? There's a few Excalibur people in here, right? You know who you are. You love your Excalibur. Uh, let's see what else I have to say about drying here. Um, when I dry, I store my dried mushrooms, not like this. This is just my sample bag. Instead, what I do is I like to, I like to put them in, in plastic like this for long-term storage. Um, not, as, not as attractive, but uh, in here are, I've labeled, are, it's from 2020. These are spring porcinis and there's two and a half ounces of mushrooms in here. They are dried and then vacuum sealed. And there is my oxygen scrubber right in there to uh, um, scrub the oxygen out of this environment even more than my vacuum sealing did. The other way I do it is then I keep them in these jars. And this is what I dip out to eat out of. These are more uh, porcini. And there is my, my uh, dehydration pack, um, uh, my desiccate pack in here uh, in this one. By the way, you never mix the two. You shouldn't combine a desiccate and an oxygen scrubber. I believe if they touch, bad things happen. I'm not sure what, but bad things they say. So jars are a good way to go too with the dust kit for long-term storage uh, after we dry. Um, now, when we rehydrate, that's a kind of a not often talked about topic. Um, I don't think it matters. I think you can, um, we, we, we typically, our, our go-to way is we heat water in here. We put our mushrooms into a Pyrex dish. We pour hot water over them. And then we put something on hot to submerge them down in the water a little bit. Um, and uh, with boiling hot water, you know, they take 20 minutes, 15 minutes. You can put lukewarm water on it. It works the same. It just takes a little longer. Um, we often use a small amount of water because we want to cook with the water. Like that, all that flavor that comes into the liquid, we want to try to figure out how to get back into our food. So we're often rehydrating them in a, um, a small quantity of water because it's going to be easier to mend or, 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 or kind of work back into our recipe potentially if we're able to. So we do like to save our water to cook with, of course. Um, a really fun technique to... Uh, rehydrate that, that I like is uh, I put the dried mushrooms in, a, in my saute pan and I pour my water over the dried mushrooms and I heat it up and I pretty much saute them into hydration. And when the water's done, they're hydrated and they're cooked a little bit too. I would recommend when you do that, also put a pat of butter or some oil into the water. And the reason is when the water is gone and the oil starts, it sizzles and your ear will tell you when the water's gone. Otherwise, what happens is, you know, you've got your thing cooking over there and you stop paying attention and you've burnt your mushrooms because you cooked off the water and then, and then you scorch them. So I like to put a little bit of oil in my water when I use that technique, but I like to do that when I want all of the, the goodness and the mushrooms to come back into my food um, and not kind of add water later. So I, I do that a lot. Uh, uh, black trumpets, it's my favorite way to rehydrate those. One thing you got to put out there, especially if you're buying the mushrooms or somebody else picked them, that technique only works if they're clean because you're never going to get a chance to wash dirt off. It's going to be in your pan. So that, that kind of 
saute in their own hydration liquid, you do have to have clean mushrooms to, to pull that off. Okay, see, so yeah, I'm just looking at the notes here, see if there's any other thing. It looks like Kristen's answering lots of questions. Looks like you guys, I'm, I love seeing all these questions in here. Thanks everybody. Um, okay, uh, let's see what else I have. Any other good notes on, on dehydrating to share? Um, I think that I think that's it. It's not really a very fun topic because because everybody does it. I used to start this presentation off and talk about dehydrating, but it's kind of not very fun. To, like, oh, I'm here at a presentation on dehydrating. I think I'll go somewhere else. Um, any questions on there? Um, I do have one picture I think I want to show you here. Uh, uh, dehydrating in the field. I really like this. Um, let me just pop over to this. So here you go. Um, this is when we're in the field and this works well at home too. Um, I, I love this little unit here. It's a, uh, I think it's an herb dryer. We got it off Amazon. There's multiple brands that sell online just like this. Um, you know, and it's got like 10 layers or whatever, maybe eight. And we put our mushrooms in there. You can see our morels in the bottom three and porcinis in the top five. So I guess that means there's, there's eight levels in there. And you hang this up outside and the fresh air moves through it and it, it uh, helps move your mushrooms along towards dehydration. Now, if it's sunny and hot, they move along pretty fast. Um, if it's not, they don't. Um, some mushrooms don't do well in here. Like for instance, we tried this with uh, black trumpets uh, this summer and they just kind of rotted. They didn't really dry, it was too humid outside. So maybe that's a factor too, the wind, the sun, how humid it is. Um, but this is a nice way, especially if you're camping or traveling, if you have one of these units, they, 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 they don't take much space. They're, they're very convenient. And if you do buy one, my advice is don't buy one that has a, a really big circumference because they're made to hang herbs. And you'll if you put that many in here, the, the whole thing sags out. You can see how many I have in there. That's about how many it holds. So you don't need it to be much bigger than that and eight levels high. You can stack it in there really nice and, and it works well. So that's, and that's called, I think an herb, an herb drying rack or hanging herb drying rack on Amazon. I forget exactly what it was called. Um, Trent, do you keep any jars of mushrooms you only find occasionally and build up a collection until you have enough for a meal? Yeah, I have definitely have uh, jars that are not full. Um, and um, usually we get enough for a meal, but then we run out, you know, we kind of like, oh, we have to get Hawks wings were out this. We've eaten all of our hawks wings. We got to get more of those suckers. Um, and we just kind of keep piling them back together. Although, Brooke, I got Kristen on my side too. Probably one of the reasons we only don't have a lot of half full jars is Kristen can pick some mushrooms. So, um, you know, that's my secret weapon. I think why we probably have always have enough for a meal is she picks so many. Anything special about rehydrating other than warm? No, uh, you just want to put them in warm water until they get to the right kind of texture. It takes 20 to 30 minutes, typically. Um, if you leave them overnight, some, there's some recipes we've seen where people rehydrate and leave their mushrooms soaking in the liquid overnight. And we have found that transfers a lot of the flavor into the liquid. And so you do that for that reason. If you want to, you can over soak them and it does remove some of the flavor. So you'll see some recipes that say, don't over soak your mushrooms. It will affect the flavor. And indeed it does. And you can see that because the water has so much flavor in it, the longer you soak them. So that's it. The other one is we, uh, we, we often have to figure out how to strain it. Uh, typically that means a Pyrex thing and then you pour it out and you leave the, the kind of at the bottom, the, the stuff, but you can also use coffee filters uh, to pour your rehydrating through and clean if you need to. 
And when I rehydrate shrooms in a soup I'm making, um, you know, Susan, I almost always rehydrate them in water and I save the water for the soup stock. And typically I'm sauteing the mushrooms or, or cooking them some way other than strictly putting them into the soup. So rarely would I chuck them right in the soup, but if they were clean and, and I didn't need to saute them, absolutely, I chuck them right in the soup at that point. I do do that, for instance, with matsutake, which never get sauteed in, in oil or butter by us. They go right into the soup stock and they can be rehydrated in. Also, I like to make rice with sometimes uh, uh, mushrooms in it. And I'll chuck some mushrooms in there uh, so you don't have to, but typically I saute them. Um, let's talk about a couple of fun little techniques. And this one, I think I, I have one, we ate it all. So Kristen's gonna share the link, but this is a fun recipe. Uh, basically it's mushroom hot chocolate. And we got this off online. Kristen's gonna pop the link in there from uh, Wondersmith, I think is her online handle. She's out of Washington maybe. Well, she has a wonderful dried mushroom hot chocolate recipe. And in a nutshell, you take four or five medicinal mushrooms in her recipe, it calls for ones you, I'm sure you have there, um, uh, uh, turkey tail, um, uh, red belted conch, which is, uh, what is that? Fomatopsis pinocola? Is that how you say that? Pinocola? Um, it calls for a little bit of lion's mane. It calls for a little bit of chaga and a little bit of reishi. Those five mushrooms, I'm sure you can substitute, but basically you, you take those five mushrooms and you soak them, you, 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 you grind them up and soak them in brandy. We eat a lot of this. I just finished it. I'm making more. Here they are, they're all soaking in brandy with some, uh, you can see in there with some uh, uh, vanilla beans overnight. And then you put them in a crock pot with uh, some herbs and spices. Um, I wanna say like cardamom and, cardamom and cinnamon and, and things like that. And you cook them in the crock pot overnight again. Um, and then you take that whole mixture out and you put in a bunch of good ground hot chocolate mix, you know, like like 100% ground dark chocolate. Um, oh, good. Kristen's putting the link in there. And you could, we, we put in uh, some sugar, whatever your favorite sugar. We use coconut sugar. And we put, in, we put in coconut milk. We don't really drink milk. You can put in kind of dried milk. And you make hot, hot chocolate powder that is about 50% about mushrooms ground up in it. Um, oh my gosh, it's so delicious. So we've been using, we've been drinking that like every night. It makes delicious hot chocolate. It's medicinal. Um, and it gives us a chance to use some of those fun mushrooms we see out there, but we don't necessarily cook in the meals like turkey tails and rishis um, and things like that. So if, if you want to check out that recipe, you think Idaho maybe, um, I, I would encourage you. It's a really nice uh, chocolate recipe. Now, another fun recipe is right here. Um, uh, and I can't believe I'm saving this special just for you guys. And the reason is this is so good. We eat it right up. If I open this bag up, it's just going to disappear. So I've had it, I've had it saved special. And this is jerky. So here it is. I'll hold it up to the camera there. It looks like beef jerky, kind of. This is oyster mushroom jerky. Um, and this is our favorite way to prepare oyster mushrooms for, you know, big hauls. You know how you get oysters there and, and often when you get them, they're, they're huge and you get 10 of them and you've got a whole basket of oysters. And I think the problem with oyster mushrooms are they're, they're good and they're good fresh, but they're not so good preserved. They just aren't as good. Um, and I have lots of dried, and you can do this with dried ones, by the way. I have lots of dried jerky or dried 
oysters that I use over there. But this is my our, our new favorite thing. We also do it with chanterelles and hedgehogs, which we also get in large quantities. Uh, but basically, to make the jerky, you uh, I take each oyster mushroom, and these these actually are mine. I grew these in my garage. They're pretty fresh. I made them yesterday. I made them last night, but they're not going to last. They're going to be gone in 24 hours. I'm saving them for you guys. Um, you, I tear each oyster in half. Uh, so there's a nice tear through it. I parboil it or boil it for a few minutes until they get they shrink in size. And then I, I soak them in, a, in just a jerky marinade overnight in the fridge. And then I put them in the dehydrator for, I don't know, four or five hours, six hours. And they, they come out chewy and nice. They're not crispy, they're not, but they're not soft either. They're just chewy. Um, for my jerky so uh, sauce or marinade, I, I do a soy sauce base with brown sugar and garlic powder, onion powder, smoked paprika, Worcestershire, pepper. That's about it whatever you want to put in it. Um, you can do all kinds of different flavors. Oh my gosh, this is a delicious snack. I mean, this is really, really good. It's chewy. It, it, it reminds you of meat jerky, but it's not. It's And you can eat a lot of them. And, and there's at least right in this bag, there's, I mean, there's got to be a pound of oyster mushrooms easily, if not more, maybe, maybe a pound and a half. Um, so it's a, a really efficient way to store your mushrooms as jerky, and then you can zip them up. And I think the big question for us is how long do they last? How long are they shelf stable? I don't have an answer for that yet. I tend to keep the ones I want for longer storage in the freezer. However, uh, I'd rather keep them on the shelf. I just don't know the answer yet. Are they good for a month? Are they good for a year? I don't know. Um, Oh, any good recipes for pheasant back mushrooms, Cindy, to everybody. I noticed you sent that to everybody, which is a good idea. No, uh, we don't get too many of them here in our neck of Colorado. And it was one of the challenges in the book. We actually had like pheasant back and um, we had uh, uh, in the book, we had like 10 more, 10 more mushrooms we were going to cover recipe wise. Um, um, we're going to do puff balls for sure. And we were going to do shaggy manes in the book. Um, we were going to do uh, hawk's wings in the book, all these other kind of lesser mushrooms, maybe. We have a shrimp russula, we, we get a lot, things like uh, uh, lactarius, uh, we were going to put in the book. And it just ended up we weren't able to get many recipes on these mushrooms. Um, I do know with that one particular mushroom, you know, you got to get the young, fresh ones, but I, I don't have any special recipes for you. Sorry for the, for the pheasant uh, back. I just want to call it pheasant tail. I think it's pheasant back, right? What other mushrooms make good jerky? Absolutely, chanterelle, hedgehog, and oyster are our three big jerky mushrooms. And I think that's because we get really large quantities of them. And like, well, how are we gonna preserve them? Um, and that's how we like them. I don't know, I'm sure other mushrooms are good, but those are the three that we go big with, with jerky on and, and we can't get enough. Um, goat's beard? No, I don't know what goat's beard is, Ivy. That's weird. Anybody else know what goat's beard is? Doesn't sound very good. It's herisium. Really? I guess that makes sense. Like like the hanging parts of a her yeah. So herisium's in the book. Um, it, it's one of the I think more difficult mushrooms to preserve. Um, I, I I like to I like to freeze mine. I would probably roast them and freeze them or saute and freeze them. I've, I have had less luck with the freeze drying and the drying. When they rehydrate, they get a weird texture when they put the moisture back into them, I feel like. Um, um, so that we do have some, some fun lion's mane recipes in the book. Um, and, and I used frozen ones when I, when I needed to, I, I froze them. And I'm gonna talk about freezing. Let's talk about freezing. I talked about jerky. 
We talked about hot chocolate, uh, two fun little techniques. Now let's back into another big technique called freezing. Uh, first of all, uh, there, there's, there's two basic dichotomies in freezing. Um, one is rarely done and that is freezing fresh. Uh, a lot of people tell you, oh, you can't freeze mushrooms fresh, they're no good. Um, I've tried it, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. I've done morels fresh and porcini fresh and found them to be very nice. In fact, I have some here, I'll show you in a minute. Um, I think uh, uh, if you wanna freeze fresh mushrooms, the secret is to cube them or whatever, put them in whatever size you want. Put them on a cookie sheet in the freezer and let them freeze and preferably a really cold freezer. I mean, you know, freezers kind of have a big variety of temperatures they're set at. Set yours as cold as you can. Put them on a cookie sheet so they're really freezing, ideally really fast because they're not, um, they're not touching each other. They're not in a bag. They're all separate. So they freeze pretty quick. In two hours, they'll be rock hard. And then after two hours of freezing that way, then package them up in a bag. I'll show you. So here are, here are fresh frozen morels in here. Um, and here are fresh frozen, ah, fresh frozen porcini. This is one pound of porcini right here. And that's probably a half, two thirds a pound of morels. But look, here's the problem. I mean, this is great. I'm just telling you, freeze, freezing morels works great. Um, they come out a little soggy, but you can dry saute the water out of them. They're a pretty durable mushroom. I just don't think it's worth it. I feel like I'm using this really valuable space in my freezer for something that is really just as good dried. Um, I even used to freeze the stuffers so I could freeze them and then stuff them with, you know, good things to, to bake. And then I found, you know, dried mushrooms, if you dry them and rehydrate them, they're actually easier to stuff than frozen mushrooms. They're a little more durable and easier to handle. I love dried porcini. Um, we get a lot of those here. I mean, frozen porcini, fresh. I like it just because they, they have a, a unique flavor when they're frozen, frozen fresh. However, the second way to freeze, I'll show you, is, is much more classic. That's where you, you saute and then you freeze. So this is interesting. I, here's fresh. Here is my sliced, sauteed, and frozen. And this is one pound. I'm sure there's probably two pounds in here. I mean, a pound and a half, there's a lot of mushrooms in here. So the first reason to saute and freeze is, um, well, the first reason is for many mushrooms, you're gonna get a better product by sauteing them first. The second reason is they take up a lot less space in your freezer, especially note, look how I pack them versus this. These will line up in my freezer. My freezer looks kind of like a bookshelf, like all these packs lined up. And no matter what I get in it, I want to lay them fat, flat. I want to smush them. I want to make them flat. And these just take up so much darn space in the freezer. So I like to freeze them this way in this, again, in this really good plastic. It's vacuum sealed. Um, now, I don't know. I always write the date and what's on. This one, of course, does not have the date on it. Uh, but this one is July of 2019. So it's going to be two years old uh, this summer. And I'm still eating them. Uh, and I still like these. I, I put them in, you know, I probably froze up. 20 packs of these and and we have one every week or two and they're very nice they're very good now when they're frozen like this i often don't thaw them i might put them out on the counter for an hour or two and then put them in the pan while they're still kind of half frozen and they cook up pretty well uh, if i'm in a hurry i'll put them in some cold water for 10 minutes and then put them in the pan half frozen and they'll cook up well 
Um, you don't have to bring these to a full thaw before you put them in a pan. Let me put them back on my And then finally, some mushrooms. These are porcini buttons. They're real small. They're smaller than golf balls. And for these, I, I, I parboiled in a very, very small amount of water dose. In fact, hardly any water. Um, and they released some of their own liquid into the water. They shrunk a little bit and I, I hardly cooked them at all. And then I packaged them whole and froze them. And they're, they're really nice too. So some really young, tasty mushrooms, if you can just leave whole um, and put just a, like a couple tablespoons of water in them and steam them and they'll release their liquid and then freeze them liquid and all just like this solid. And they're pretty good, uh, like as a fresh mushroom. Now, other mushrooms we always freeze. Uh, uh, we find that the best preservation method for freezing is gonna be for sure uh, chanterelles are, are gonna be the best frozen, assuming you don't have a freeze dryer. Uh, porcini are very good frozen. Um, chicken of the woods, we, we freeze those for sure. Um, hedgehogs we freeze. Um, lion's mane, maitake, we freeze those too. So with most of those, we saute them before we freeze them. Hey, Kristen, can you come out here and put this stuff back in the freezer for me? I don't want it to get warm while we're, while we're talking. I like to get those back in the freezer and keep them good. I was talking about freezing. Oh, these different mushrooms. So the saute with the chanterelles, same thing, put them in the pan. And with most of these mushrooms, you saute them, they're gonna release their liquid into the pan and then they're gonna draw the liquid back in. And as soon as the liquid is just about gone, it, either when it's maxed out or when it's coming down or gone, you freeze in that time period. We, we usually freeze when most of the liquid is sucked back into the mushrooms during the saute process. So we do want them to be kind of packed in their own liquid, but we don't want them still to be sitting in a kind of a puddle of their own liquid still sauteing. You, you know what I mean, right? When you saute chanterelles, how they create a puddle and then they, they absorb it back in. That's like the perfect time to freeze them. Um, now you guys get a lot of chicken of the woods. You, you're probably pretty expert on, on those. Um, you certainly get more th than we have. I, I've tried a couple things there. I, I, I feel like just sauteing and freezing is pretty hard to beat. Uh, recently I did a bunch, I, I actually froze them fresh. Um, and then I just put them in boiling water for 20 minutes. And then I, when, I, when they were, I froze them fresh. And then when I went to eat them, I just dropped the, the whole bag in boiling water. I dumped it in, boiled them for a while. And then I sauteed them like normal. And they were pretty good too. Um, but th those are the two ways I think, I think to do the chickens. Uh, let's pickling. See. Talk about pickling. Okay. We're going to go to pickling next. Let me just finish up with uh, the saute, a couple of other saute tips. Um, one is if you get a large, large batch of mushrooms, sauteing is a drag. You got to move a lot of a lot of mushroom matter through your saute pans. Try roasting instead. If you spread out your mushrooms on a, on a cookie sheet or a cookie tray, roast them at like 400 or higher in the oven. They get a nice brown on top. Um, they, they cook up real nice and you can freeze large amounts of mushrooms pretty quickly by roasting. So that's a, that's a nice time-saving technique. Um, any questions on that? And we'll move on to pickling. Uh, people flower before they freeze, Hunter, for sure, specifically morels and specifically people that want to deep fry them. Um, I think it's probably easier than trying to flower them after they're frozen. Um, uh, but I'm not a big deep fryer, so I don't usually store that way, but a lot of people do. Um, all right, so pickling is, oh my gosh. Uh, when you talk to people that forage and have been doing it for years, their chances are good they pickle mushrooms. People that are that forage a lot for some reason love to pickle 
Um, Eastern Europeans are, are really big into it as well. Uh, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of pickling coming out of the Asian culture too. Um, I, I think big picture, there's a couple of things to point out with pickling, okay? Um, number one is you probably got to learn to understand your pH a little bit. Uh, pickling recipes are, uh, are very flexible and the, the pH of your pickling liquid is what's going to keep you safe or not. So, you know, you're going to want to keep it at four and a half, um, or, or, or lower for your pH. Um, number two is you can over pickle. Like if you, if you put in too much vinegar, it feels like you really wreck the pickles and then you got to figure out how to enjoy over vinegary pickles. Um, and a good example is I think dill pickles. I, I love dill pickles. I like them as a snack. I love pickles that are the same level of vinegariness as well for my, my mushrooms, but then they're kind of like appetizers. You're not really cooking with them. So you might want to experiment with some lower uh, pH pickles, pickling recipes. Um, and I think the real trick is like, how do you do what these other cultures do, which is they pickle their, they pickle their mushrooms because they're shelf stable they last a long time and then they take those mushrooms and they don't serve them like as hors d'oeuvres, they cook them into their food. So if you really wanna suss out pickling, I think you gotta to get to the next level, which is how do I take you know, a jar, I think I got a jar here, how do I take a jar of pickles and like cook with it and, and turn it into food? Um, so let me share a couple of pickle recipes and ideas with you. We have three pickling recipes in the book. Um, the first one is called a quick pickle. And this, this recipe came from Olga Cotter. Like we say, a lot of people contributed recipes. And oh my gosh, the quick pickle is awesome. Um, uh, basically, you, uh, you take your mushroom. We tend to do uh, uh, oysters, hedgehogs, and chanterelles with a quick pickle, but it's whatever you have a lot of. And all you do is you parboil your mushroom um, and basically it shrinks in size. And then you, you pour salad dressing on it like a vinegar based salad dressing and you let it sit overnight in the fridge in the dressing. You can let it sit for up to a week. It's pretty darn good though after sitting overnight. And it's really surprisingly convenient and you get these nice marinated pickles. They're fun to snack on and they're going to taste like your salad dressing. So, you know, you want to pick a salad dressing you like, but it's called a quick pickle, super fast, super easy. They last in the fridge a week and, and they're real crowd pleasers. I mean, you can't go wrong pulling out a bowl of quick pickles for a group of people. The second type of pickling is uh, cold pickling, we call it. I, I made that up, I guess. Um, but basically you take your mushrooms, you parboil them once again, um, and then you pack them in your jar and then you pour boiling hot pickling liquid on them. You cap them and you keep them at room temperature until they cool down and then you store them in the fridge. So I call it cold pickling. You're not like heat processing the pickle, you're storing it in the fridge. And if you do not store it in the fridge, it will go bad, it is not shelf stable. So this is the best way if you have fridge space. Um, I think it produces the best product. So I prefer this method, although the drawback is you don't wanna keep pickles in your fridge for years. You know, you probably wanna eat them in six months. You, you just don't want them in there forever. Um, although they, they do seem to last a long time. So I think the reason is you just don't have a lot of fridge space if you, if you, if you do this. Now, um, one of the secrets with both the, the cold and the hot pickling is you, you need to parboil your mushrooms before you put them in the jar. And the reason is, um, I don't think I have an example here because I don't do it anymore. If you put fresh mushrooms in your jar and then continue with the pickling, they will pickle okay. 
but you'll end up with this much mushrooms and this much pickling juice. And the mushrooms will probably be floating on some on the top and some on the bottom. And it's basically like a jar of pickle juice uh, because they shrink. If you pre-shrink your mushrooms in hot water and then you pack them in the jar as tight as you can, and then you put the pickling liquid in, you end up with a, a jar of, of, of pretty good pickles. And then the hot pickling is where you do the same steps, but then you take the pickles and you put them in a hot water bath for 20 to 25 minutes. I think at your elevation, you can do 20. We do 25 here um, at, at 6,000 feet. And then what that does is, is, you know, seals those jars, kills everything that's possibly in them, and you can store them uh, uh, room temperature, shelf stable. They're pretty convenient. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Kristen came out and helped me find my pickles. Here's a jar and you can see how, what we're trying to get there are the pickles are full all the way to the top. It's like the jar is full of pickles. So this is uh, chanterelle. So those are the three techniques, um, depending whether you wanna do it the quick way, the shelf stable way is the other extreme or store them in your fridge. Now, I think the fridge ones are best. And the reason is, it seems like when you, when you continue cooking your pickles, your pickled mushrooms in the, the steamer, or in the, oh yeah, oh yeah, these are hedgehogs. These are from, these are just cold pickled from this summer. Um, we've been working through them. Uh, we like to just scoop and add these to different foods that we think would, would really benefit from a little acidic, uh, a little extra acidic flavor to them. Uh, just kind of a working jar of hedgehogs. They're really good. Um, uh, but when you hot pickle, they tend to get a little slimy. Uh, that's what I was saying when you, when you heat them up. And so if you do that, one thing to consider, if you saute them after you pickle them, it will remove the, the slime. So if you do pickle mushrooms and you don't like the texture, try rinsing them off to get the extra vinegar flavor off that you don't want too much of, and then saute your pickled mushrooms and then put them in a dish. And I think what you're going to find is that um, they bring just a really nice subtle vinegariness to the dish that's pleasant, that adds to the dish, one of the kind of core flavors, yet doesn't overpower them with the vinegar flavor. And it seems like the secret there again is, is, is maybe dial back the vinegar a little bit when you pickle, but then rinse them off and saute them. And then you can cook them, cook with them a little bit easier. So that, that's one idea there. Um, now, uh, we pickle a lot of different types of mushrooms. I think I can't say I've really had failed at pickling. I haven't done like shaggy mains, which are not very durable, but chanterelles are good pickled. Uh, when we when we pick burn morels, I really love, you could do those little, little early season morels, right? Those little baby ones. I love to save the little baby morels and pickle them. Oh my gosh. They make the best little like morel explosion in your mouth. They're very nice pickled. So save your little baby morels. Hedgehogs, we, we definitely pickle those more than, more than anything. We want to get a Lots of jars of hedgehogs when the season is right. Uh, porcini's pickle well, matsutake, which I guess you don't have. Everything pickles great. Um, so, um, so try those three recipes and remember um, that. Oh, let me talk about the recipe itself. Let me let me share our, our pickling recipe, and we we have more in the book. Um, there's a lot of different variations, but what we do is we do. Um, um, one cup of vinegar and one cup of water. So it's a 50-50 vinegar mix. Now I find that the, the kind of white vinegar is a little potent. We prefer champagne vinegar. That's our favorite vinegar. Um, it's a little more mild. And the problem is it's kind of pricey to really like do a lot of pickles with. I hate to, I hate to drop like 20 bucks on vinegar. It's stupid. Um, but I, I like it more than the um, 
I like it more than the white vinegar. Uh, cider, apple cider vinegar is another very popular vinegar to use. I'm not a really fan of the, 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 the cider flavor in it. It doesn't excite me. So we do one to one to one, one cup and one cup. And then we do one tablespoon of kosher salt per cup of liquid. So in that recipe, we do two tablespoons. And remember, kosher is important. Kosher has a different salt level by volume than table salt does. Don't use table salt. Um, and then we do uh, one teaspoon of sugar per cup of water. And then after that, in each jar, we put some peppercorns, some dill, a garlic, clove, and uh, some dried pepper uh, for a little bit of spiciness. Uh, we might throw some mustard seed in there if we got it. Uh, but we do like fresh dill in ours. Uh, of course, everybody's got their, their, their favorite kind of pickling recipe, but that's ours. Um, and again, with the, with the champagne vinegar, and, and that's a pretty high pH. You can dial the vinegar back a little bit if you want something less, you know, puckery uh, and easier to cook with. Um, I'm just going to check out the chat and see if we have any pickling questions I can answer in, answer in here. Um, yeah, you, I see Kelly, you did that too. You tried Namiko. I bet they were a little slimy too, especially if you hot pickled them. Try cold pickling, try quick pickling if you want something short term, but otherwise you, you kind of got to figure out how to cook those in because they, they do get a little slimy. Yeah, that's one of the, I like the tip Kristen shared with everybody in there. You know, try switching out, you know, try, try switching out a bunch of like pickled hedgehogs for mushrooms in a recipe. And you might be really delighted. A lot of times pickled mushrooms make a very good substitute for regular mushrooms. Uh, for mushrooms, I like this question, Jeff, uh, or Aaron. For mushrooms that are supposed to be cooked thoroughly, do they need to be heated to a certain amount or time before pickling to be safe? That is, a, that is like a stellar question right there. Let's talk about it. The reason we don't eat generally with mushrooms, we don't eat raw mushrooms, is because they have chitin in them and they're not bioavailable to your stomach. And a lot of the nutritional value is going to go in your mouth and out, out a day or two later. So the main reason we cook a lot of mushrooms is that. The second reason is some mushrooms are obviously make you feel sick if you don't cook them. Chanterelles, mm, morels will make you totally sick if you don't cook them. They have something in them that has to be cooked out. So when you talk about this whole thing, like what can you do to remove these? Um, just so you know, cooking is not the only way. You can pickling does the exact same thing as cooking. You can cold pickle mushrooms and they're bioavailable. Uh, fermenting, lacto-fermenting does the same thing. Salt packing does the same thing. Um, water cooking, you can boil mushrooms, you can steam them, you can saute them. The heat breaks down the chitin to be bioavailable. Now, the uh, one big exception are morels, which will make you feel sick if they're not cooked. So for morels, all we've done with our pickled morels is I've boiled them in the, in the water pretty good. I mean, you can tell when mushrooms are cooked, when they're boiled, they, they shrink in size and they're done. They get soft, they're done. And then you pickle them. So that's the secret with morels and really any other mushroom. But I think the rest of them, you can probably pickle perfectly fine, fresh, and they'd be good. They would just be loose in the jar and you would have a lot of pickling liquid in very small amounts of mushrooms. And I've done that. I've totally pickled fresh mushrooms, enjoyed them. They're delicious. There's nothing wrong with them that way. It's just a waste of jar space. So that, that's why we, that's why we parboil them before we, before we pickle them. And why we also, you know, this idea of cooking mushrooms, there's, there's like five ways to cook mushrooms that are not, that don't involve heat, you know, salt, lacto, pickling, Kosher has no iodine, 
table does. Yeah, kosher just has more salt per, more sodium per volume than table salt does, uh, which is why you, when, when recipes call for kosher salt, pay attention because uh, it does have a different salt amount in it. Um, yeah, do you use alum to make them crisp? That is a great, oh, sorry, I got excited. That's a great question. I pickle a lot of asparagus and I use that uh, lime stuff. I think it's the same. I have not tried that in any mushroom product. So I have not tried any of those extra add-ins people use to their pickling recipes to make things crunchy. I, I, I wish I knew the answer to that. Well, we love pickled asparagus. I, this is, might be dangerous to say, and we love to hunt mushrooms, but we probably like hunting asparagus is right up there at the top of our list. And we often like, should we go look for morels or look for asparagus? And we, we often are out looking, looking for asparagus. We love it. So that's kind of it for my pickles. I shared my, my little baby morel pickle is it's just a crowd pleaser. It's like luxurious to have baby morels. So if you do get those, save a jar for pickling, save, a, save enough for a jar's worth of pickling. Okay, um, the next technique um, is oil packing, which we love. And we get a lot of comments on, and I think oil packing is, is especially useful for porcini. So I wonder, I might want to skip through this a little quick. I know you guys, I don't think you're big in the porcini scene there um, uh, locally, um, but oil packing's fun. Um, and they look like these, they're, they're mushrooms packed in olive oil. And there's variations on this. You can can mushrooms this way too with water, but here's what we do. Um, we have three recipes that we do, well, really two, two recipes that we do this way with a, with a version on one of them. The first thing we do are these, these are salted and we, um, we, we chop up mushrooms and we pack them in kosher salt only because it's cheap, any salt would work. Box of kosher salt, we pack a whole, whole bunch of salt in them. And what happens is the salt extracts all the liquid out of it. So you end up with like this really soupy salt, really wet, but uh, the mushrooms shrink and they, they, they let go of their moisture. And then we take those and we, we boil them in vinegar, 100% um, white vinegar for like 15 minutes. You can't overdo it. Lots of vinegar. Uh, let them sit in there for another 15 minutes. And so at that point, you've salted them and you've boiled them. And then we lay them out to dry. We put them uh, like on the counter on a screen or put them in the dehydrator. Careful, you can make them overdone that way until they're just kind of a nice chewy texture. And then we pack them in oil. And oh my gosh, these things are so good. They're like, people love them. When you give them to people, they're like porcini mushrooms packed in good olive oil, but they got vinegar and salt going on with them. And they're just absolutely delightful in your mouth. Um, uh, stored in oil this way. So we love, we love, we love doing this and, and it really surprises people when they do it. That's probably of all the things like people always want that recipe. Like what, what are these? How did you do that? Um, now this uh, is very similar. This is a confit. And what we do with that is we cube up our mushrooms and we put them again in good olive oil and we put them on the stove in a French and like a crock pot type thing. You can use a crock pot. Uh, we use a big French Dutch oven. That's what it's called. Um, and we set our stove really low because you can burn these and you'll wake up in the morning, your house will smell like burnt mushrooms. You know, you overcooked them. Um, but we cook them really, really, really slow um, in the oil overnight. And you got, you got to leave the lid off the pan or leave it cracked. Because what happens is uh, as they simmer in this hot oil, the, the, the water leaves the mushroom, comes up to the surface and evaporates. And if you put a top on it, the water doesn't have a way to get out of the pan. And after you do it overnight, you, you just put the whole good into a, you put it all into a 
a jar like this and put it in the fridge. And what you end up with is the mushrooms are really good. They're kind of oily because, you know, they're packed in oil. Um, but you can spoon them out of here and put them on pizza or put them in pasta or put them in things. But what the real delight is, is the oil. Because I think the mushrooms cooked in the oil, um, the, the olive oil is absolutely delicious to die for. It's so good to spread on bread. It's really, it's really what it's at is the oil in this. So that's a fun way to take some mushrooms and you might just call it infusing your mushrooms with oil or uh, you're making confit, but oh my gosh, it's super delicious. Um, and we do, the more I do it though, I don't skimp on the olive oil. I like to find like a really nice olive oil because I know I'm going to like be wanting to like eat that olive oil spread on everything. It's really just to die for. Um, uh, it, it, uh, so good. Uh, it lasts a couple months in the fridge too. Oh uh, yeah, well pizza, oh my gosh. And that's a great thing. Like you're making pizza, you're like, boom, you pull out of the fridge, you stick a spoon in it and you've got olive oil and mushrooms on your pizza. I mean, how does it get any more perfect than that? Uh, making a nice pasta sauce, you can spoon it right in that too. Really, really nice. Um, yeah, and Kristen says has a point. We, we, the last time we did this, we did two batches in a row and we burnt the first batch. You got to be careful. Uh, even, a, even a crock pot on low, we'll get a lot of crock pots on low, will get too hot overnight. You got to put them on warm or take the lid off. It makes a big difference in crock pot temperatures if you leave the lid off. So uh, those are good. Now, I usually, the last time I did this, I started eating during the class and I'm, I told Kristen, I'm not going to eat these during the class. They're so good. I just end up like making a fool of myself eating all this yummy food. So I'm not doing that today. So that, that's oil packing. Um, duck cell is another popular way to freeze food. Uh, it's a variation on freezing. Basically, you cook up your mushrooms um, and you freeze them already cooked with all the stuff in them. So we have two duck cell recipes in our book. Uh, my favorite's the chanterelle recipe, which basically uh, you take a whole bunch of chanterelles in a Dutch oven, like a bunch, and you pour a whole bottle of dry sherry, a whole bottle of dry sherry on it, a whole bunch, uh, a whole bunch of dried apricots. We take them, take dried apricots, chop them up and put them in there. Uh, we happen to have here locally, our apricots come due at the same time as our chanterelles. Um, apricot, chanterelle, sherry, chicken stock, a whole bunch of onions. And I think that's kind of it. And you just let that cook in your oven at like 350 for a couple hours. You stir it because it kind of gets burned on the top otherwise. And it cooks down into like a, almost like a jam. Uh, pretty thick consistency uh, as the sherry and the, and the uh, stock cooks off of it. And then you freeze it and it's so good. It's like ready to go frozen, like in your bags, you can take it out and, and make a pasta sauce out of it, make a cream sauce out of it, put it on a baked potato, put it on a pork chop. It's like ready to go. Um, and I think if you can look at and, and this idea, of, I think just Duxel is really chopping up your mushrooms, cooking them, freezing them, but you've already cooked in a lot of the flavors like the sherry, the apricots, the, the onions and things like that. So um, Kelly, you call it mushroom caviar. I like that. Kelly, what mushroom do you make yours with? Do you have a, do you have a favorite? Uh, we have in the book, porcini and chanterelle recipes. Um, I'm curious what else. Morels. Wow. Awesome. But you're right, Kelly, any mix will do. It's a really nice preservation technique. That, and, and I think the reason you're going to like it is because you can saute and freeze mushrooms and then you thaw them and you make a dinner with them. But with duxel, you thaw it 
and you have your dinner. It's what are you going to put it on? Are you going to put it on pasta? Are you going to put it on meat? Are you going to, what are you going to mix it with? It's kind of more ready to go. So I kind of like that, that, that step has been removed and I have something ready to eat that is absolutely fabulous. And it lasts several years in the freezer. If your freezer is cold, we, we've eaten ours for several years in a row. We happen to be out of it now, um, which means we've got to make more this summer. Uh, we've had some bad summers in Colorado. We didn't find any chanterelles this year, unfortunately. So good way to go. So that's, uh, I did jerky. We're getting down here. I got a, just a few more kind of fun little techniques to, to bop through here, okay? Uh, so we're gonna do like a, the five minute run through. Uh, powder mushrooms. Uh, it's great to put your mushrooms in a, in a, in a like a, a grinder, like a coffee grinder and powder them and you can mix them into your food pretty easily. I would caution you to grind them in small batches and eat them kind of as you need them because grinding does diminish the, the, the flavor quality of the mushrooms over time sitting in ground in a jar. Um, salt is really easy to make, especially uh, morel salt is kind of fun. Um, uh, I have a jar here. Here's some, here's some salt here. It's a dark color. This is porcini salt. I have some morel salt. Uh, with this, uh, you can take your morels and you can uh, um, lay them in layers of salt, basically. Just cover them with lots of salt. You can use whole morels. Um, put them in your oven at a low temperature and cook them for a while so the salt pulls all the liquid out and then you you bake it in the oven at a real low temperature so it all bakes off and then you take the whole kit and caboodle and put it in, in your blender to break the salt up and grind the morel into tiny little pieces and you end up with a pretty flavorful morel salt. They're technically, they're still raw maybe, I don't know, but I think with a few flakes of morels aren't gonna make you sick. Like, you know, you don't need to worry about raw mushrooms and, and small quantities like that. Um, if you do wanna do other mushroom salts, I think the secret is to, um, cook the mushrooms in water in a liquid and extract the flavor out of the mushroom with water, put the water in the salt, bake it off and then put it in the grinder. And that's how you get your flavor into your salt. If, if you really want to try some more, some more techniques. Um, jam. Oh my gosh. You guys have chanterelles there and chanterelle makes really, really fun jam. Here's a jar of, of chanterelle jam. Um, oh, it's so good. It's like savory and sweet. Birch polypore question coming in. Um, oh my gosh, I have no idea other than I bet it doesn't taste very good that way. But, oh, you're trying to figure out how to grind it. Yeah. Kristen, do you want to talk about grinding in there for a minute in the chat? Because uh, we've been playing with how to grind mushrooms. It's difficult. Uh, anyhow, uh, let me tell you about this jam. Uh, this is a fun one. This will this will like allow your friends to feed them a mushroom jam. And basically what I did, um, we did it, Kristen and I, we took... Uh, we took chanterelles and we put them in a food processor to make them all broken up. And then we put them in a pan with nothing but just a lid on the pan and cooked them so that they got real soupy. Like they gave up their liquid, but I had a lid on it. There was nowhere for the liquid to go. They just kind of simmered in their own soup, like soup for, for 10 minutes, not very long. Um, and then I combined that mess with half apricots for apricot jam. And basically I followed the apricot jam recipe, except I used half apricots and half of this ground up, cooked in its own juice, but I didn't let the juice escape chanterelles. And I followed the, the jam recipe, just like in the, you know, the, the jam thing that comes into the, what do you call that? The, the gelatin box and it has the jam recipes in it. I followed that recipe. And then you get these. 
Um, and oh my gosh, they're so good. And what we do with these are we, uh, uh, we like to, to get hunks of brie and scoop out a big hole in the middle and pour this fits perfectly into it, this amount. And then we wrap it in a puff pastry, put it back in the oven and bake it. And, and you end up with this thing when you cut it open, it, it has like melted brie with a whole bunch of jam in it, like a savory, like people can't tell what it is, what kind of jam. Um, oozes out and it's, oh my gosh, it's so good. So it's, it's a fun recipe and you can do more. We actually have, I think two jam recipes in the book because a few other people liked us, made some good jams as well. Um, shrub, oh yeah, shrub is fun. This is shrub. Shrub is a drinking vinegar. Um, if any of you uh, 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 work in bars or bartend, shrub is kind of a hot thing to put into mixed drinks. Um, I make matsutake shrub, I make chanterelle shrub, and I make a few other fruity flavors. But uh, basically, I pour this into soda water and drink it instead of soda. Like, I don't really drink soda, but I can get flavored sodas with this. And, and all it is is half vinegar, um, in this case, champagne vinegar, because I like it, um, half sugar and half fruit. It's kind of a third, isn't it? Equal parts, sugar, vinegar, and chanterelles. And I cook it all up. I don't know, 10 minutes, boil the heck out of it, strain it out, put it in a, put it in a jar and put it in my fridge. And I just pour a couple of tablespoons into soda water over cold, over, over ice. And it makes a very nice drink. And uh, this is actually Matsutake uh, shrub, but I have chanterelle shrub that I also drink. That's pretty good, except I think I drank it all. So that's a fun idea to preserve some of your fruity mushrooms. Uh, you guys don't have candy caps. So I was gonna show you, you can make booze, uh, you can soak things in there. Uh, my final, my final thing here to show you is going to be a tincture and a tea, and then we're going to wrap up. So tincture is, you know, we make um, medicinal tinctures out of medicinal mushrooms, specifically turkey tail uh, and reishi are going to be two of the ones near you. Uh, chaga are nearby too. Uh, I think you have uh, birch polypore, which has a lot of potential, and also. Um, uh, artist conch, perhaps all, all of these are, are, are good and they're, they're easy to make tinctures. Uh, here's an example of a, a turkey tail tincture in the works. So basically what I do is I use, when I can, I use uh, half fresh and half dried mushrooms. I, I'll use all dried or all fresh too, I don't care. I grind them up as well as I can. Um, and per the conversation maybe in here, I didn't follow. We use the Vitamix grinder is kind of the best mass grinder for us right now to grind things up, the, the attachment on a Vitamix, but you can use a coffee grinder too. Grind it up and then I pour uh, uh, 190 proof alcohol on top of it. Uh, it can be Everclear. We happen to have a local distillery that makes 190 proof, I don't know what kind of booze. Um, so you can use any. Um, I cover it with about that much. I let it sit for two weeks, shake it every day. And uh, I do that for two weeks. And then I, then I strain out the alcohol and then I take the leftover stuff and I add back in more turkey tail, preferably again, 50-50 fresh and dried, uh, almost twice as much again. I'll put back about as much in as again. And then I'm gonna uh, heat that. I'm gonna try to keep it under 160. I'm gonna to try to do it for 12 hours. Sometimes I'll do it less, I don't think it's a big deal. A crock pot on warm, especially if you crack the lid, we'll do that very nicely. The other thing we use to make tinctures and a lot of different products is kind of fun, is this, if you've ever seen one of these, it's called a magical butter machine. Now remember we're in Colorado where marijuana is legal. I don't know if it's legal there for you guys yet, maybe it is. Um, and that's where this, this machine originated from people that made pot butter. 
Um, now, we're not really into that scene. However, this is a wonderful thing to uh, make tinctures out of. Um, we also uh, you make chaga. We put chaga in here and infuse things. You can put water, alcohol, or oil in this, and then it'll run at whatever temperature you set, say 130 for say eight hours and you wake up in the morning and it's all kind of done in here. It's a little easier in the crock pot for us a lot. So it's kind of a fun device that we use to infuse oils, waters. And we do like a different things with chaga, uh, especially with this uh, cordyceps we do things with. Sabs, yeah, there's a lot of fun things you can do. So this, this is a fun thing that we, we put a lot of our forge products into this to make um, oils and salves butters, uh, honeys and things like that. You can do a lot of fun stuff with that. With that. So that was a, uh, the tincture. So then uh, it sits at 160 degrees in water for 12 hours. And then you combine one part of the 190 proof. The proof is important because you have to change it. If you use um, say 100 proof vodka, you got to change the recipe. We add uh, three parts water to uh, soaking water to one part alcohol. Um, and that gives us 25% of the alcohol, which is a, a smidge too high. So then we just put in a little bit more water. So we kind of measure the water heavy. We want to get it a little under 25% water. Um, and it makes a nice medicinal tincture. Okay. And then the final thing, you know, I know I mentioned it before, uh, it's hard to beat chaga tea. Um, if you don't have a freeze dryer to make, you know, this product, you don't need to. If you can get chaga, oh my gosh, it makes really nice tea. You break it into bits, like quarter-sized bits, marble-sized bits. Do that while it's still wet. It's really hard to break when it's dry. We 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 hit it with like a like a hatchet, break it down and break it down until they're they're all marble size, and then we dry them out. And then all we do is is uh, uh, slow cook them. It could be again a crock pot. You can put it on the stove, 140, 150 degrees. You can do it overnight. Um, and we make tea and then we drink that tea and then we, we, we take the chaga and we save it and we let it dry out on the counter. And then a week later, we make another batch with the same chaga and you can often make two or three or four batches out of the same, the same chunks of chaga. And you can tell because the tea stops getting as flavorful near the end and it's time for new chaga. So chaga is a, chaga is a cool, uh, cool mushroom to collect if you're, especially like the medicinal quality. And we, we really learned to enjoy uh, consuming it and drinking it. it it's pretty nice. And oh my gosh, that was it, whirlwind. If we don't, I think if we have any, any questions here, it'd be a good time to ask them. Otherwise, I think, I, I think I'm complete. I've shown off all of my stuff. So yeah, San Diego. Is there any area that you would prefer in the Southern part of Oregon to find chaga mushrooms? We find chaga not in Oregon, but in Northern Wisconsin and Minnesota. Okay. So you're gonna to wanna to go up and look in the birch forests about halfway up the state and more uh, is where they become more common. Uh, in Minnesota, you cannot pick chaga in a state forest. It's against the law, but there's a lot of national forests. And the big tip there is get off the trail. When you walk along trails, people have spotted most of the chaga. Okay. You walk parallel to a trail, uh, 50 yards in, you'll see a lot. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and only on Aspen. I say aspen birch. I, I, I'm in Colorado. I say aspen. If I said aspen, I meant to say birch. Excuse me. Thank you. Thank you. You guys had a lot of good chatty questions too. Thanks for thanks for being so engaged. It's it's so much more fun to do it when people are asking questions and throwing out tidbits and sharing their information too. So 
hopefully maybe we'll uh, get to come hunt with you one of these days with your groups. Thanks. Thanks, right. Catherine. Hey, I'll send you that recipe for uh, the jerky. If you could distribute to the group, that'd be awesome. awesome. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Thank you.